Hello, I'm Christian, and you're listening to Inside the Cambodia Project, an educational podcast where we discuss cutting-edge research on sustainable business in an emerging market. Today, we will have the opportunity to talk with my co-worker and student researcher, Kylie Fox-Sog. Kylie Fox-Sog is a senior at Brigham Young University, studying sociology, with minors in international development and global and community impact. Kylie works at the Ballard Center for Social Impact on the Homelessness Social Impact Lab. She has program evaluation experience working with female artisans in Rwanda. In her academic pursuits, Kylie studies immigration among Asian groups and refugee settlement and recently published a paper on immigration policy at the southern border. Kylie plans to pursue a master's in public administration to become a social impact consultant and evaluator to help organizations maximize their impact. So, Kylie, I've recently been reading Hans Rosling's groundbreaking book called Factfulness, where without going into too much detail, Hans describes how the world is actually getting better. He says it's improving more than we imagine. In one of my favorite quotes from the book, He says, remember, things can be bad and getting better. I'd be interested to know your thoughts on this idea of bad and yet better within the context of the global south or Southeast Asia. Yes. Yeah, I love that because we have progressed as a society. You think of in history like the 1800s where our entire lives are raised, everyone is but they're still not solved, right? Like we still have poverty, we still have homelessness, all of these problems, and we just have a bigger population on the globe, so they're on a bigger scale. But I like that quote because it's hopeful, and dealing with social problems, it's hard to be hopeful a lot of the time when you're in the weeds of problems. But it is important to remember that things are getting better. They have gotten better, but they're not solved yet. For sure, yeah. I do feel like there's kind of a, in the media especially, um, things are always skewed towards the negative, right? Mm -hmm. And the reality is that things aren't as bad as we make them out to be. Although we do focus on the bad. Things are bad, and they're also getting better. Um, that's, That's just really cool to think about, especially in a field like the one we're talking about today, humanitarian, social development, all of that. Um, What are some of the specific challenges, talking more about, you know, what is bad (laughs) before we get to the better, what are some of these challenges that people face, specifically like in Southeast Asia, more than in some other parts of the world? Yeah, Southeast Asia particularly is one of the, we call them an LDR, uh, less developed region. And they're one of the poorest regions in the world, besides from like Central Africa. So they have a lot of different problems. They have rampant poverty. They have problems with their government. And because they're in a tropical region, they experience a lot of diseases like malaria and malnutrition. And that's from a lot of different reasons, but that's probably their their main problems at this point. So just to reiterate their main problems you'd say are like extreme poverty yes um issues at the government level Mm -hmm. maybe with regulatory forces and then um you said just with the tropical climate 
they're I don't know, is it is it like climate yeah. change or? Yeah, it's just because malaria is very prevalent there. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, from mosquitoes. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a big problem. So almost like a, there's a medical disparity there. Yes, um, yeah. Disease is a lot more common and a lot more difficult to deal with. Um, yes. Awesome. And I, I asked you this question because I know through your experience, you ha- are a lot more familiar with that <laughs> part of the world than, than most people. Um, and so I, I really appreciate your insights as to Southeast Asia. Specifically, though, when we're talking about the bad, um, I want to turn the page and talk about the better for a second. What do you think we could do to overcome some of those challenges you just mentioned? How can we work to overcome extreme poverty in Southeast Asia, in the global south? How can we work to overcome um, things at the government level and issues even medically, you know, malaria, things like that? Yeah, those are all very complicated questions, questions, and they all have different solutions. Um, But it's important to remember that these problems have always existed, and that it's important to incorporate the people that are experiencing them. They know what they need, and it's important to remember to work with them. But particularly, like... With malnutrition, we have the technology to solve malnutrition. It's just getting those resources over there. But I think in any intervention, it's important to work with the people that you're actually trying to help. Yeah, almost like this working from the ground up instead of the top down. I know yes. that our um, our professor, Ben, he's all he's very passionate about this bottom up instead of top down approach where we're we're starting at the level of change, which is with with normal everyday people struggling with the consequences of these huge, you know, uh, seemingly insurmountable challenges like uh, poverty, like, you know, government issues and and like disease and a a lack of uh, proper medical attention. Yes. Yeah. And that's what we do at the Ballard Center as well. We call it there's a lot of different names for it, but we call it human-centered design. So it's like designing from the bottom up, and then it spins all the way to the top and hopefully solves it. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, you seem, you know, very passionate about the Ballard Center. Yes. Um, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about that. How is, specifically, how is working at the Ballard Center here at BYU informed your perspective on sustainable development, Um, and on our our research in Cambodia. Yes, yeah, thank you for allowing me to plug the Ballard Center in this, but (laughs) yeah, it's awesome. I transferred to BYU to work at the Ballard Center, actually, because I love their mission. We're actually the largest student-run social impact center in the U.S., and we focus on kind of that human-centered design that I mentioned. Um, It's not just our slogan is do good better, And so we use data and research to drive interventions instead of just waltzing into a community and being like, oh, they don't have water, let's build wells. That might not actually be what they need. And I think it's a very humble approach and an approach that's needed. Like I mentioned before, like you have to build solutions from the people that are building them or they're not going to work. That's fantastic. Yeah, I I totally see what you're what you're getting at here. Like. Um, we, the outsiders looking in, sometimes don't know. We think we know, but sometimes we don't know what they actually need. Yeah. You know, and we'll just throw resources at them. 
Um, I remember mm-hmm. studying a case study uh, in uh, Haiti where we actually inundated the country in rice mm-hmm. so much so that rice actually has no value anymore. And uh, the rice farmers are out of a job, which it sounds counterintuitive, but giving people free food isn't always the right. best solution. So, yeah, um, yeah that's, that's really, a, I feel like that's very applicable um, as we're, we're trying to make a meaningful sustainable difference yes. in these parts of the world that we're not super familiar with. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Although I will say you're you're pretty familiar with Southeast Asia mm-hmm. um, for a number of reasons, but I'd love for you to share maybe one of your experiences in Asia and how has that shaped your passion for what we're trying to do here in Cambodia? Yes, yeah, so I've always been interested in Asia. I served a mission for my church in Mongolia but okay. even before that, I have been interested in, like, Asian culture and things like that. So you speak any languages? I speak Mongolian. Mongolian. Yeah, wow. super helpful <laughs> now. But, yeah, so I've done that. And my husband, his dad is from Taiwan and his mom is from Korea. And so that's been really interesting to watch. But even before that, I've been studying Asia. Um, and my honors thesis is on the differentiation between East Asians and Southeast Asians in what like prestigious occupations they get in the United States. Um, And that kind of is stemming from a class I took on race and this theory of the Asian American achievement paradox, but that's kind of a tangent. But yeah, so I'm just really (laughs) interested in Southeast Asia, particularly because it it is one of the poorest regions in the world. Um, And I have ties there personally, but that's a region that I feel I do know a lot about. I'm obviously still learning about it, but I know it enough to know what I need to learn, I think. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope so. Yeah I, yeah, I definitely don't know enough. So I'm here to learn from you. And um, I think it's really interesting. You mentioned that it's one of the poorest regions in the world. Am I correct in saying I'm pretty sure it's also one of the most populous regions in the world? Like yes. a, a huge portion of the world population is concentrated in Asia and Southeast Asia is a part of that. Yes. Yeah, That's definitely with like the population of India being over a billion people and China being over a billion people. Yeah, that's also a reason why, a reason why I'm interested in Asia. There's yeah, just I mean, so many people there. <laughs> making a, making changes in a part of the world that has almost a third of, of the population, that's that's a big deal. Yes. Um, talking more about just some of your experiences. Ben mentioned that you were actually engaged in a service project or a research project mm-hmm. in Rwanda last summer. Could you tell me more about that? Like, yes. what, did, what did you do? What did that look like? Yeah, so I went to Rwanda with the program evaluation and assessment team through the sociology department. And there we were doing a program evaluation of a nonprofit that works with artisan cooperatives and then they sell their goods to a global market, so they're able to get a fair price for their goods and okay. increase their quality of life. <laughs> That's way cool. But before you go on, oh, could yes. you um, name drop that that um, nonprofit, if you don't mind, oh, just so yes. our listeners can look it up? Yeah, we worked with Ethic Collective, and they actually began at BYU. Ethic Collective. Yeah, cool. yeah, they connect that. And then we also worked with their partner, Azizi Life, and so they have like the female artisan cooperatives and then ethic is the one that sends the goods on a global market way cool so so what specifically like what did the day-to-day look like when you're in rwanda 
Yeah, we did focus groups and interviews, and basically we were just studying, like, is it working? Like, do these women have a higher quality of life because they're able to get a proper amount for their goods? And the answer is yes. (laughs) So that's good. Um, But yeah, so we were just doing some qualitative research there. That's really cool. Um, What was, like, one of the most memorable experiences you had? Like, how long... You were there for, what, three three weeks? Yeah, almost a month, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you have, like, just one memory, one experience that sticks out to you? Oh, there's so many. Yeah. Um, this is kind of, like, a broader experience, but just after, like, every focus group, like, the women would kind of just want to spend more time with us, and they would always ask us about, like, our families and things like that, but it would always end up we would, like, dance with them, and then... We, at one point, were like, we need to teach them a dance. And so we taught, <laughs> taught them Macarena. And oh, yeah, okay. That was fun. But, yeah, <laughs> so just kind of like that, like, cultural exchange was really fun. That's way cool. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting to experience more of that. Yeah. Um, hopefully when we have the opportunity to travel to Cambodia. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel like that research in Rwanda differs from what we're doing in Cambodia? Because... Obviously, we have different goals, but there are also some similarities. So maybe could you highlight what makes the Cambodia project different from what you did last summer? Yeah, maybe I'll start with the similarities, and that will be <laughs> easier. Yeah, that, but, that sounds good. Um, well, we're both studying women in different ways. In Cambodia, we're studying like domestic violence, and then in Rwanda, I was studying just like female quality of life. So that's kind of like the most similar, but they're obviously different entirely regions in the world. They have completely different histories and people, um, but they are similar in the problems that they face, like extreme poverty, malnutrition, all the things that consider them both Global South or LDR regions. Um, So that's similar, but I think just in general, studying in a Global South country is helpful and it informs how you study other global south countries, but it's also important to keep in mind that they're completely different regions right. as well. Yeah, um, I mean, the culture alone is probably just miles apart, right? Like, yeah. There's not much in common there. Yeah, interesting about Rwanda and Cambodia, though, they both have a history of genocide, so that's another similarity that I definitely saw, um, and something that we're continuing to see in Cambodia is this remainder of uh, PTSD and anxiety from those areas so that's another similarity between those two regions specifically yeah it's crazy how this that happened in the 70s and it's uh it's multi-generational now i mean it's it's transpassed the people that really experienced it Um, yeah yeah that's that's really interesting um so in some of your research i know that the ballard center for social impact here at brigham university uh, has a huge focus on Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs. Could you maybe give me and those listening an elevator pitch and maybe explain real quick, like, what are <laughs> SDGs yeah. and how are they relevant to the Cambodia Project? Because they are, um, but, you know, not everyone knows that. So what, what do you have to say about SDGs? Yeah, so the susta- Sustainable Development Goals are the UN's goals that they give out for the world, um, and there's 17 of them. And they range from like gender equality that we're working on with the Cambodia project to 
like clean water, clean air, there's a lot of them. But they're following the Millennium Development Goals that I guess you could say ended in 2015. So these are kind of like the next set of development goals. Um, And then the UN tracks indicators for where each country and even each region in a lot of cases are in these goals. Okay, cool. Is there like a, most goals have like a end, I guess like a time frame. Is there a time frame for the SDGs? I think SDGs, it's 2030. 2030. It might be 2050 though. Okay. Might have to fact check. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Um, And what, I guess, if the, you said there's one that we're focusing on specifically in Cambodia, Mm -hmm. could you tell me more about that one? Yes, yeah. So we're doing goal number five, which is gender equality. And there's about 10 indicators underneath that goal. And one of them is increasing uh, safety for women or like decreasing violence for women. So Mm. we're particularly interested in that one. And that's an indicator that Cambodia has struggled with and has yet to see any um, on track status for at the UN level. I'm super curious, like, do you know how they, how one measures that kind of goal? Yeah, they have different ways that they measure like gender equality. Um, but they just measure things like if you use like the demographic and health survey data, that's kind of Cambodia's like census. Um, but they track that and then they track like attitudes towards women the amount of women that report domestic violence, the amount of women that report like sexual violence or use of medical care because of sexual violence. And yeah, there's just a lot of like, yeah, I'm kind of like a demography nerd too. (laughs) So that that's kind of where I'm coming from. But yeah, they use like that kind of data for that. Gotcha. Yeah. So in terms of that sustainable development goal specifically and Cambodia, um, what are some measures that you think should be taken, uh, whether as part of the Cambodia project or just independent of that, how can we remediate um, that issue? It's a very real, as far as I understand, it's it's not like they've achieved that goal yet, right? They're, they're probably progressing towards it, but what can we do um, to reach that goal? Yeah, and that's kind of the the question of our project, right, which is what we're trying to solve. But just from what we've studied so far, um, domestic violence in Cambodia specifically is what's considered like a family issue. So it's kept within the family. They don't really talk about it outside of the family, which means an intervention will be very difficult Mm. because if they're not talking about it to their neighbors, they're not going to talk about it to an American NGO. Right. You're not going to write about it in a survey or something. Yes. But problems with like domestic violence, you have to change behavior and that takes a really long time. So that's not something that we can just plop an intervention into. We can use interventions to change behavior. But I think it's important to remember that kind of distinction going into that. Right. So knowing our limits, right? Yeah, like yeah. You can't can't change a culture in, in one year, but right. we can make small differences mm-hmm. um, from the ground up, like you're talking about. Yeah. Well, that's, that's uh, I hope that we can make something happen, right? Yeah, no, make we're working on it. Change. We're doing good. <laughs> See, it's bad, but we're getting better. <laughs> Sweet. Um, so... It seems like you've had a lot of really great opportunities, Kylie, to travel and to participate in meaningful research. On behalf of those listening, 
What advice would you give to any aspiring change makers? Mm-hmm. I know that's a term that they really like in the Ballard Center, right? A change yes, maker. yeah. So for those aspiring change makers out there who want to make a difference in the world, what would you say to them? How can they get started? Yeah, you mentioned that I've traveled a couple of places, but my, I guess, change making persona, I didn't start out traveling. Obviously, I've worked in communities, and so that's obviously like the best place to start is within your own community, mm. because um, at the Bellar Center, I work on the homelessness lab, but we're s- focused on the Salt Lake area. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, that's not a global project, even though I'm yeah, interested that's very local. in... Yeah, so there are problems within your own community, so if you're like a startup change maker, that's obviously the best place to start. And then just learning about the issue. Um, At the Ballard Center, we have kind of a rule that, like, you don't really start an intervention until you've been studying it for at least a year. So that's, like, really hard if you're starting out. But there are obviously ways that you can volunteer and things like that. Um, As, like, a social impact analyst like I want to be, it's really easy to think of, like, long-term interventions and be like, I can't help them until I know this or until I've talked to this person or until I've gotten this partner. But I like to remind myself that like people are suffering currently. And so volunteering is one of the ways that even though it might not be the best intervention or be the best long-term thing, volunteering still helps alleviate some sort of pain while you're in the process of alleviating that long-term pain. That's so cool. If I could just ask one more question. Mm -hmm. How did... How did you like, what was your journey like? Um, Because it seems like you're very rooted and you know what you want to do. This is your passion project. Mm -hmm. Like, how did you get to that point? Because I think a lot of us, uh, you know, want, I think most people feel like they want to make a difference. Most people feel like they want to make the world a better place. But everyone has their own little angle. How did you find yours? Yeah, I'll kind of give my life story, I guess, <laughs> really quickly. <laughs> sure, yeah. There's a Spark Notes version. But yeah, I've always wanted to do like work in the public sector and to help people. I just grew up with a lot of neighbors that, you know, were struggling. And I was like, how can I help this? And then I worked at a couple of nonprofits and I was like, oh, they're actually not really helping in the ways that I want to. And so... And I also want to make a career out of it. And people were like, you can't get paid to work in nonprofits. So I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, okay, I'll give up on that, it's not too I much guess. Money there. Yeah. <laughs> but then I served my mission in Mongolia. And then I realized that it's very necessary, this work. But I still had that, like, nagging feeling that we can do better. And then that's how I found the Ballard Center, which is how they do it better. Um, because I always knew that you had to, you know, involve the people you're working with in solving an intervention, even when I was being told, no, this is how we're going to help these people, um, kind of like in high school and things like that. So I was really inspired by the data-driven aspect of the Ballard Center, and that's kind of where I lie, just as like a sociologist as well. Um, But I think there's, you know, lots of different ways we can create change. Um, I've chosen to do kind of like the evaluation side because I like to see if we're actually helping people, but there's right. obviously like the entrepreneurship side, like creating something from scratch. Um, there's like CSR, there's like impact investing. There's like a lot of different angles to do good. And I think 
um, like we need to spread the awareness of different sectors where we can do good. Because growing up, I was like, oh, my thing is like doing good. You know, I'm the do good person. <laughs> but that is completely prideful and selfish and terrible because we need to be doing good in every sector, which is why I'm excited that this project lies in the marketing department and that we're able to kind of do good here, which is a place that I didn't think I would end up as a sociology major, yeah. but I'm excited to be in. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Kylie. I, I really enjoyed hearing some of your insights on sustainable development on Cambodia, um, hearing some of your, I guess, your plugs for the Valor Center <laughs> yeah. for Social Good. Um, yeah, just fantastic. Thank you so much for coming in today. I do want to say yeah. one last thing. One of the things you said um, as you were talking about, you know, making a difference in your community, in, in every sector, not just in the, I guess, the stereotypical ones. Mm -hmm. um, that reminded me of a keynote address that we actually saw at BYU this week. Uh, Felipe Caipo, um, mm -hmm. who's a communications officer for the United Nations, he gave a presentation this week on why faith-based organizations are so excellent at alleviating poverty. Felipe mentioned an interaction that he had with a BYU employee prior to his presentation. And the employee asked Felipe, how can I get more involved to help in the UN efforts? And then Felipe shared his response. And I'm just gonna end with this quote. He said, keep doing what you're doing in your family, in your home, and in your neighborhood. In other words, lift where you stay.